This summer, we're in a sermon series walking verse by verse, week by week, through a very significant section of scripture found in Romans chapter 12. We've been going through verses 9 through 21. We are in the eighth week of this sermon series titled, What the World Needs Now. And as we've been answering that question from a biblical point of view, it's an opportunity for us not just every week to listen to this teaching and then wait for the next week, but to ask, Holy Spirit, would you enable me to put these truths into practice? And if you've missed any of these sermons, you can go all the way back to week one when we started at the beginning of this summer with that sermon titled, Love Without Hypocrisy. We find ourselves again in Romans 12 in this section of scripture where the Apostle Paul uses 38 verbs in just 12 verses to describe the activity of followers of Jesus. This is Romans 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. And as we say every week, thanks be to God. So four verbs right in this section that begin with this very uh, rich image. The Apostle Paul says, live in harmony with one another. And when you think about this idea of living in harmony, I, I bring to mind every time I try to sing in harmony, you don't want me to do it. You don't want me to do it on camera now. You don't want me to do it uh, on stage. You don't want me to try to do it singing happy birthday in harmony with, for somebody else. Uh, when somebody sings out of tune, where they either sing too high or too low in relation to the other people singing, it creates this dissonance, this, this thing that goes uh, through the ear uh, inside your brain that causes you to cringe. That's what happens every time I sing. And in the same way, we can live out of harmony in the same way that people can sing out of harmony. And people around us might see us living in a way that is out of relation to other people in a way that causes dissonance, that causes uh, distrust, that causes a, a reverberation that actually causes us to cringe and to, and to push away. Well, what the world needs right now as followers of Jesus to lean into living a life of harmony. And so today we're gonna define what that means and very clearly, very practically, how we can put that into practice. Now, my son, uh, eight years old, Judah, is, is just now learning how to play the piano. My parents got him this, this cool keyboard when he was three years old. He wasn't quite ready for it at the age of three. Now at the age of eight, we didn't get rid of it. Uh, he's finally five years later ready to learn how to play the keyboard. And there's this great app that we discovered. And literally, uh, we put a, a little iPad up where you normally would put your songbook, your, your notes. And there's this whole visual video-based learning style where he's learning how to play not just notes with his right hand, but notes with his left hand as well. And I was looking over his shoulder, I don't know how to play the piano, and I found it very fascinating that whenever he hit a note that was out of tune, off the mark from the note he was supposed to hit, there would be a visual dot on the, the music sheet, the digital music sheet, showing him if he was either too high in relation to the note he was supposed to hit, 
or too low in relation to the note he was supposed to hit. And just visually him being able to see if he was either too high, sharp, or too low, flat, compared to the note he needed to hit, it's enabled him to learn much quicker. Now in the same way, the Apostle Paul outlines a number of things, not just in this verse, but we can see throughout the entirety of Jesus' teaching, in fact, in the entirety of the New Testament, in fact, in the entirety of the, the Bible, there are notes that God gives us that we can tune our lives to. And in the same way, if we allow our lives to be measured up against the notes of Scripture, we might find that certain times in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, we are either sharp or flat, we are out of tune. And Paul goes so far to push this metaphor that it's not just who and how we are in relationship with God, in a vertical relationship, but it's how we're in relationship to one another. You see, there's an opportunity we have right here, right now, to learn to live our lives in harmony with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, this community of one. You could say that uh, the Trinity, the mysterious Trinity, has always been in harmonious alignment with one another. They are distinct. They are unique. They are different. And yet together they are one. Unlike the heresy of modalism, which is the belief, the incorrect belief that God uh, changes modes. God can only be God the Father in one moment and then God the Son in another moment or God the Spirit in another moment. The, the truth of what Scripture reveals is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have eternally coexisted in this beautiful harmony. And out of that harmony, the cosmos have been created. Out of that harmony, you have been created. Out of that harmony, the solutions for the brokenness in all of our planet have been offered. And there's an opportunity for us to hear the invitation of the harmonious Trinity to be invited into that relationship. And out of the overflow of that relationship, begin to live in harmony with one another. In fact, that phrase, one another, is such a key phrase. It's two words in the English language, but it's one word in the Greek language. Alelon is this word that's used a hundred times in the New Testament. Sixty percent of the time, it is the Apostle Paul using that word. And in fact, there are 47 distinct instances where that word is used to describe the activity of how followers of Christ are called to live in harmony with one another. And there's such variety in all of these 47 different notes that actually as we learn to put these things into practice, not only do we align our lives vertically with the maker of heaven and earth, but we begin to align our lives with our sisters and brothers in Christ in such a way that God actually creates this beautiful song 
as an orchestra to be played, not just for the enjoyment of the community, not just for the enjoyment of the broader city and the world, but ultimately for the enjoyment and all for the glory of God. So let's take a look at this idea of not aiming too high or too low, but finding the notes of how we're called to live so that we can live in harmony with one another. You know, it's interesting in this passage, the Apostle Paul, after he says, live in harmony with one another, he then immediately says, do not be haughty. Uh, this idea that Paul is getting across is that there is a temptation for many human beings and especially followers of Jesus Christ to consider themselves higher than where they should be in relationship to others. That word haughty means arrogant, it means prideful, it means boastful, it is, it is all about the self. It is all about putting oneself in a relation to another that is higher than they should be. And you can actually trace this all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, where we see the first human beings, they put themselves in too lofty of a position in their mind's eye, and they don't trust God. They don't follow their Lord's leading. And so they fall into the temptation from the serpent, and they believe that it is their right to have the knowledge of good and evil. If there was a note that God, the maker of heaven and earth, had designed for the first humans, they in that moment chose a higher note to play with their lives. And in that moment, their lives were sharp, to say it musically. There was dissonance in that moment. Things began to unravel. They were filled with shame and they began to experience a brokenness in their relationship, not just with each other, not just with themselves, not just with creation, but most importantly, they experienced a broken relationship with God. It's also interesting when you consider that it was the serpent that tempted them. In fact, the serpent, Scripture says, is a, a manifestation, a physical representation of God's enemy. In fact, there are different passages in Scripture, most notably in the Old Testament, where it says that the enemy of God at one point was an angel. Many of you might not know the backstory behind uh, God's enemy, who goes by many names, Satan, the accuser, some people refer to him as Satan, or Lucifer, the bright morning star, but he was created by God as one of the angels, and he was more beautiful than all the other angels, and he was filled with so much arrogance, so much pride, so much self-focus, that that angel wanted to be higher than God created him to be. And in that pride, there was war in heaven, Scripture says. And there was a great battle. And in fact, Scripture says that God won that battle and cast God's enemy down upon earth. And in doing so, uh, God's enemy took a third of the angels with him. Having lost that, that battle... The enemy of God then turns to 
God's people, the pinnacle of God's creation, to get them to live, I can say it this way, out of tune with their maker. And often we see in a very tangible way, in a way that likely we've experienced in our own lives and relationships, we see it on TV, we see it out in the news, we see it all the time where people uh, see themselves higher than they really are. There's an arrogance, there's a chip on the shoulder, there's this sense when they walk into the room that everybody else is below them. And in those moments, those people and we, when we fall into those moments, we're not immune from these things. We live out of tune, we are too high in our estimation and we are sharp in relationship to how God created us to live. Now that's an obvious way in which we can live out of alignment, out of harmony with our maker. But did you know that there is another temptation, it's much more subtle, that God's enemy does all the time. And it's not to whisper in our ear to think of ourselves more highly than we should. It's the other side of things. It's to convince us that we should see ourselves lower than we should. You see, the opposite of pride isn't necessarily humility if you define humility as thinking less of yourself than you really are. You see, there's this sense where we can miss the mark. We can be flat in the notes of our lives in relationship to God and each other if we put ourselves down if we somehow have a false humility, if somehow we don't step into and live into the note, the life that God has designed for us. Of course, it's obvious when we put ourselves up on a pedestal, but there is this sense in culture that if we, if we just diminish ourselves, that some people think that that's the solution. But if we see ourselves too low from God's point of view, we're missing the mark as well. Ironically, when you live your life either too high or too low, both instances, the focus is on yourself. And the Apostle Paul says that the solution is to live with humility. But not humility is thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Maybe you've heard that quote. It's often attributed to C.S. Lewis. The quote goes like this. Uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It implies that you're not focused on yourself, but you're focused on others. In fact, it wasn't C.S. Lewis who actually said that. It was Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church. It's often attributed to C.S. Lewis, but C.S. Lewis actually wrote a much longer section about humility in his book, Mere Christianity. It doesn't fit in a tweet. It doesn't fit on a coffee mug. It doesn't fit nice and neat in a post. I want to read this to you. It's a longer section. And I want you to hear this picture. And I want to give you a definition of humility. And I believe that that is the first step that we have to take in order to live in harmony with God, but also in harmony with others. And it's not just thinking less of yourself. It's not just putting yourself down. It's not always deferring to other people. It's very, very different than that. Listen, listen to what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble person, that they will be what most people call humble nowadays. 
They will, be, they will not be a sort of greasy, swarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, they are nobody. Probably all you will think about them is that they seem cheerful, that they were intelligent, who took a real interest in what you said to them. If you do dislike them, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. They will not be focused on humility. In fact, they won't be thinking about themselves at all. In fact, C.S. Lewis goes on and says this, If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too, at least nothing, whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. If you don't think that you are higher than you really should be, in actual fact, you are higher than you should be, C.S. Lewis says. He goes on, pleasure in being praised by others is not pride. I want you to catch this, follow this here. The child who is patted on the back for doing a lesson well. The woman whose beauty is praised by her lover. The saved soul to whom Christ says, well done. Are pleased and ought to be pleased. For here the pleasure lies not in what you are and what you have done, but in the fact that you have pleased someone you wanted and rightly wanted to please. That's the focus. You see, the trouble begins when you pass from thinking, I have pleased God, I have pleased them, all is well. I have pleased them, the focus is on them. To thinking, what a fine person I must be to have done it. Wow, look at me, look at, look at what I've done. You see, the more you delight in yourself, and the less you delight in the praise from the other, the worse you are becoming. And when you delight wholly in yourself and do not care about the praise at all, in the effect that it has on another person at all, you have reached rock bottom. In this long section of mere Christianity, what C.S. Lewis is saying, and I believe is reflected all throughout Scripture, that humility isn't putting yourself down. It's, in effect, focusing on the other. And true humility begins with focusing on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Gosh, when you look at Jesus, he was the most humble person that ever lived, but he never put himself down. Uh, he was never timid showing up to a situation. Uh, he never had a, a condescending view of himself. There was never a sense of false humility that Jesus had. In actual fact, there was tremendous strength in his humility because all of Jesus' focus was on doing the will of God the Father. He lived for the praise of his heavenly Father. And because of that, he was immune to the criticisms of others. He was immune to the temptations from the enemy. If you study the life of Jesus, he never has to prove himself to anyone. I mean, think about the moment where it's recorded in Scripture where uh, God's enemy tempts Jesus, uh, recorded three times, and two of the three times, 
that he tempts them. It begins with, if you are the son of God, then do this. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus, so secure in who God had already said he was, didn't have to prove it to Satan, let alone anybody else. And so there's this opportunity for us to step into living in harmony with God, the Father and Son and Spirit. And then out of the overflow of that, living in harmony with other people, when we begin to not focus on ourselves, but focus on others. Now, I've also discovered, I mean, I know people are going to write me who are real musicians, who understand music theory and say, no, no, Drew, you got this all wrong. So uh, this is not my area of expertise. So if I, I butcher this, do your research. Uh, but I think I've got this right. I want to I go back to this idea of singing harmony for a moment. This imagery that helps us understand what it means to live in harmony with someone else. Uh, let's say if somebody sang a note in C, and there was two other singers that wanted to sing in harmony with that individual that sang C. They could choose, for example, to sing two other notes that are found in the C major chord. Now follow me here. If C is the, the root of that chord, there is a triad. The third note in that C major scale is E. And the fifth note in that C major scale is G. And so if one person sings in C and another person sings in E and another person sings in G, then you know, I'm not one of the three singing because I don't think I'd be able to hit that note. But those three notes, they're different notes, aren't they? And yet together, there's this beautiful harmony. I remember the first time I heard the song Seven Bridges Road by the Eagles. It was like a four-part harmony or something, and I was obsessed with that song. It's just so beautiful. And musicians say that the melody of a song is the horizontal aspect, but the harmony is a, a vertical aspect of the song. When you see it on a, on a, I wish I could ask somebody in the congregation what it is, a, you know, a song sheet, a treble clef, whatever those things are, those notes are in vertical relationship to one another. Well, what I want to do is I want to take that imagery of those three notes of C and E and G. And when they are sung together, the beautiful harmony that happens, I want to take that imagery and I want to apply that to what it means for us as followers of Christ to live in harmony with one another. And I believe that there are three major notes that we can play with our lives. And the root is humility. And each of these three notes are described in Scripture. I referenced them earlier as the one another's in Scripture. So Paul says to be in harmony with one another. There are 46 other times where it is written in the New Testament to do something to one another in such a way that it lives in harmony with others. Now follow this here. If this is the note of... Humility. Here are the ways that scripture says that we can do that in a practical way. Listen to this. I'm going to read through every single one of these. John 13, 14 says that we can wash one another's feet. Romans 12, 10 says that we can give preference to one another in honor. 
In fact, Galatians 5.13 says that we are called to serve one another. Ephesians 5.21 says that we are to be subject to one another. Philippians 2.3 says that we should regard one another as more important than ourselves. 1 Peter 5.5 says that we are to clothe ourselves in humility towards one another. And of course, we've already read Romans 12.16, to not be haughty, but to associate with the lowly, to be humble. What the world needs right now is for followers of Jesus Christ not to think more of themselves, to not think less of themselves, but to think of other people more. And when we do that, we can actually begin to listen to people, not listen to argue, but listen to understand. When we begin to focus on other people, we can get to know their hurts and their pains, as we talked about last week, that we can begin to rejoice with those who rejoice and Weep with those who weep. We can go from antipathy to apathy to sympathy to empathy to truly having a Christ compassion when we focus on others. And the only way we can do that is if we find ourselves secure and whole in Christ. Without repeating all the sermons that we did before this, you remember the fruit of our lives comes out of our roots being deep down in a relationship with God through Jesus. The only way you can live with humility is if you are secure in your relationship with God through faith and trust in Jesus. Out of the overflow of that relationship, that vertical relationship where you are in right position, where Jesus is Lord and you are following him, you are serving him, you are not Lord and having Jesus serve you you're in right relationship. You are in harmony with God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And out of the overflow of that, you can live with humility. And I am defining that, as I understand in Scripture, as being more others-focused than being self-focused. But remember, there's two other notes, right? Going back to the singing, it was the C and the E and the G create this beautiful harmony well, there's another major, major, major note that we find in the one another's of Scripture. In fact, humility makes up 15% of all the times that one another's are commanded in Scripture. But love makes up a full third of all the one another's that we are called to do. Love is not a feeling. It's so much more than that. Love is an action. And I want you to hear each of these verses. I'm going to read every single one of what it looks like for us to love one another. Of course, John 13, 34, John 15, 12, John 15, 17, Romans 13, 8, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, 1 Peter 1, 22, 1 John 3, 11, 1 John 4, 7, 1 John 4, 11, and 2 John 5 all say to love one another. But scripture goes on. Galatians 5, 13 says, through love, serve one another. Ephesians 4, 2 says to tolerate one another in love. 1 Peter 5, 14 says to greet one another with a kiss of love. 
And Romans 12, 10 says to be devoted to one another in love. That when you begin to sing that note with your life, when your life is marked by the note of love, not hate, not bitterness, not grumbling, not always being right, not always being in control. When you live your life in a loving way, easier said than done, right? But a God-defined loving way, a, a love that is self-sacrificial, a love that speaks truth but in love, a love that is patient and kind and humble that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, a love that covers over all things. You see, that love pairs so well with harmony, with humility, because they're all tied together. You see, you can't love somebody else when you are so self-focused. And if humility is about focusing on others, it is very natural that a note that is in harmony with that is to love others, because you don't love others for selfish game. You love others to serve them, to love them, to lift them up. But remember, there's that third note. It's not just C and it's E and it's G in that major triad. So let's take a look at another big note of one another's that is used in Scripture. Remember, I said humility is referenced 15% of the time whenever one another's are used. Love is referenced a third of the time whenever one another's are referenced. Well, did you know that unity makes up another third of the 47 verses that talk about our activity towards one another. I want you to hear each of these verses. This is how we are called to live in unity with one another. And I want us to hear this. As we find ourselves in the middle of the great disruption of 2020, we are recording and listening to this for the first time in the month of August. We live in a society that is tearing itself apart. There is disunity everywhere. And we see it seemingly in every group, in every situation, in every community. We see it in families. We see it in nations. We see it in political parties. We see it uh, amongst neighbors. And sadly, we are beginning to see more and more disunity within the church. And what the world needs now more than anything else is the power of God to be demonstrated, the, the reconciling love, the healing love, the reviving and renewing love of God to be demonstrated through the body of Christ. And that is the church, that is you and me living in harmony with one another, not just in humility, not just in love, but in unity. Listen to all these verses that talk about that. In Mark 9.50, Jesus says to be at peace with one another. In Romans 12.6 and Romans 15.5, it says to be of the same mind as one another. One of my other favorite Greek words, homothumadon. It's to be one heart, one mind, one accord. In Romans 15.7, it says to accept one another. In John 6.43, it says to not grumble amongst and towards one another. In 1 Corinthians 11.33, it says, wait for one another before you begin partaking in the Lord's Supper and communion. 
In Galatians 5.15, it says to not bite and not devour and not consume one another. In Galatians 5.26, it says don't challenge or envy one another. Ephesians 4.2 says to gently and patiently tolerate one another. Ephesians 4.32 says to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving to one another. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says to bear with one another and forgive one another to keep the unity. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says to seek the good for one another and to not repay evil for evil. That's the topic of next week's sermon as well. In James 4.11 and James 5.9, it says to not complain against one another. And finally, in James 5.16, it's literally to confess your sins to one another. What an opportunity we have to live into this note of unity, to live into this note of love, to live into this note of humility, And then and only then can a harmony be created in our community that is the body of Christ, that is Bellard Church, that begins to spill out among other local churches, that is the broader body of Christ. There is a tremendous need amongst the church to not bite and devour one another, but to truly in humility and in love and in unity come together as one. It's going to take the whole church to reach the whole city. And it's going to take the whole church to reach the whole country. And it's going to take the whole church to reach the whole world. And that begins with you and me. Choosing every moment of every day to follow Jesus. To be living notes that are in perfect harmony with what God created us to live and out of the overflow of that harmonious relationship with the triune God, out of the overflow of that, we can enter into community. We can be in relationship with one another that looks and sounds and feels like a beautiful harmony. And there's many of you right now who are yet to be part of this church family. There are many of you who have yet to step out of just watching these services to be part of a community. We have right now, even in the midst of this pandemic, even though we are planning to begin coming back to our physical campus shortly, we have right now digital rooted groups wherever you are in the city, wherever you are in the nation, wherever you are in the world that we want you to join. And you can go to our website and you can find out how you can Simply join one of these rooted groups where you can get connected and rooted not only in your relationship with others, but rooted in your relationship with God. So would you take that step this August right now? Would you step out and be part of the harmonious song that God longs to write to this church family? There are notes that God longs for you to play. Your life as an instrument is needed for this great orchestra that is this church. So would you step out in faith? Would you say yes to Jesus first and foremost? And as you say yes to him, would you say yes to being part of his body, the local church? Let's not only get rooted together, but let's be a harmonious whole. May God bless you as we enter the rest of today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you lived your life in step with the Holy Spirit, in step with God's will. And in doing so, your life was a masterpiece.
And I thank you, Jesus, that you tell us in Ephesians 2.10 that we also are God's masterpiece. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, good activity, not to earn your love, Jesus, but to respond to your love. May we live out the masterpiece of our life in humility, in love, in unity. And may we resonate deeply with your heart. Jesus, we thank you. You are worth following every day and everywhere with everyone. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.